Yes, Lord, we adore you. It's you we adore. And we worship you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, it's a real treat. Uh, a couple of times a year, normally we have a student from the OCA, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, coming. And today we have Nikki who's going to speak to us, and also uh, Dave and Clive are with her as well. So um, it's great to have Nikki uh, coming to speak to us. Um, all right, if I pray for you. you yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll let you sort of introduce yourself and say sure. a little <laughs> bit about it. So, Father, I want to thank you for Nikki. I want to thank you that she's come to Oxford to study more about you and speaking your word into this world. And we want to thank you for her coming to us today. We pray you fill her with your spirit as she speaks to us. And we pray that our hearts would all be open to your word, that we would be like good soil that produces a hundredfold what is sown into it. Bless us today as we hear your word. Amen. Hi. Good morning. Um, <laughs> thanks for the response. Um, so I have to confess right off the bat, I think there's kind of this assumption when you're a guest speaker in a place that you're kind of coming in from the outside and you're going to go in and bless the people or something and it's like you have this special thing or something like that and man I just feel so blessed to be here in this service there is just such a sweet a sweetness and a sincerity um, in this congregation and so I just want to thank you thank you for having me Thank you for worshiping with me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really mean that. Um, so, yeah, like Nick was saying, a little bit about me. I'm actually from the States, if, in case you didn't already <laughs> pick up on that. Um, I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, which is obviously sort of our political hub, um, but that's not my background. My background's actually in the arts and entertainment. I have a um, Bachelor of Fine Arts in Modern Dance, which you probably didn't know exists, but it totally does. Um, and right now, I've been in Oxford for the past, I guess, five months, has it been? Yeah, like five months with this awesome cohort of people from all over the world just researching and studying the, the truth claims of Christianity, which has been so exciting and so much fun. Um, but if that sounds super fancy to you, don't let me, like, mislead you. I'm not, like, super spiritual or super smart. Um, I'm just surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, and it's been so much fun being on this adventure with him. Um, if it is your first time here today, be encouraged that it's also my first time, so you're not alone. Um, and if you think the service stinks, if you don't like my talk, then you should totally come back next week. I won't be here. Someone else will be talking. You'll be back into your normal program. Um, so don't let me scare you off. Now, what we are about to do, church, and really what we've been doing, is truly a glorious thing. We've gathered here from our separate homes and social circles to study the word of God with the people of God in the presence of God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord as a family. So thank you again for welcoming me. Um, I understand that you're in a series on spiritual disciplines, and this morning we're talking about prayer. Now, there's a lot of different ways you could take this. Um, I've, I thought it might be helpful to sort of set this up with a question. So the question that we're asking this morning is, who do you think you're talking to? When you pray or think about praying or perhaps avoid praying, who do you imagine on the other end? Who do you think 
you're reaching out to, and does it even matter? Has anyone ever accidentally sent a text message to the wrong person? Yeah, I haven't, surprisingly. It's, it's truly a miracle that I haven't, but I'm convinced it's only a matter of time. This isn't a claim of prophecy, uh, but one day I imagine that I will be trying to reach my housemate. Instead, I'll text someone uh, like my boss, asking him or her to please pick up toilet paper or something really embarrassing. Um, yeah, I, I just have no doubt that that's bound to happen. Or another example, can you imagine speaking to your spouse the way you would speak to a debt collector or a telemarketer? Some of you maybe did that this morning, but hopefully it's a far-fetched proposition because you only speak in a calm, loving voice with your spouse. Why, yes, honey, I would love to take out the garbage. My point is, knowing the identity of someone we're speaking with can dramatically impact how we approach them. My professor is not my best friend, who's not my mom, who is not my employer, who is not God. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we adapt our communication according to who we think we're talking to. So who do you imagine hearing your prayers? Your praise and pleas, cries and confessions, who would you say is listening? Does your idea of God resemble Santa Claus who keeps tallies of your rights and wrongs? Do you imagine his eyes following you like a moral watchdog eager to dish out coal? Or maybe you think he's far off in the distance, totally detached, uninterested in your ordinary little life. Does he even care? Is God like a fire-breathing dragon looking to smite us? Or is he what I like to call nice guy Jesus? A hippie with a good heart, but no different than your best pal. Friends, who do you think you're talking to? When I was a little girl, um, I would go to the dance studio. Like I said, I was a, a dancer. I would go to the dance studio after school almost every day of the week. My mom would consistently drop me off, and they would do a switch. My dad would pick me up at the end of the night. Um, and I have this vivid memory of getting in my father's truck after rehearsals, of desperately wanting to connect with my dad, of inquiring about his own family and life growing up. I just wanted to know and understand who he was and why, where did he come from? But I'll never forget his annoyance or the way he turned up talk radio to drown me out. Is our father in heaven doing something similar? Thankfully, when it comes to knowing God and understanding who he is, the revelation of his word suffocates our own thoughts with the power of eternal truth. Praise God for that. But in order for us to take hold of that victory over false perceptions of the one we pray to, we can't be complacent in our ignorance and we can't be stubbornly attached to deceitful narratives. And this leads me to my next question. Who are you talking to? Not who do you think you're talking to, but who are you talking to? If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to follow along. We'll be in Psalm 27. Um, you're also welcome to close your eyes and just listen um, to the proclamation of God's word, whatever you would prefer. You can find the Psalms in your Old Testament. It's in the first half of your Bible. This will be in between Job and Proverbs. Again, that's Psalm 27. David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but you, Lord, will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for um, just the awesome privilege and pleasure it is to gather and to sit under the authority of your teaching. Would you soften our hearts and open our minds? Would you give us a clearer picture of who you are? And would you stir in us a desire to know you deeper? It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. All right, friends. So let's start off with a quick contextual overview and lay of the land real quick. Psalm 27 is one of 150 psalms. It's a collection which constituted Israel's ancient hymn book. This psalm in particular was authored by King David, who I'm sure most of you are familiar with in the biblical narrative. Um, The psalms span about 900 years of Jewish history, which is a really long time, and they often hold two realities in tension. The first reality is temporary life on earth, or the horizontal plane, which is riddled with strife and brokenness. The second reality is eternal life, or the vertical plane, and the promises of a a sovereign God. Now, our ultimate objective this morning is to grow in a knowledge of God so we might imagine the one who hears our prayers truthfully. I think Psalm 27 will help illuminate who it is we're talking to. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, the stronghold of my life. But he says this in spite of a few things. David is in the midst of physical danger, fleeing King Saul. He also alludes to slander and defamation. In other words, anxiety would seem very warranted in David's case. And yet it's through understanding who God is and rehearsing that 
in this psalm that David also shows us how to respond in trying circumstances. By trusting the Lord, seeking his face, and hoping in him through it. We've all had varying times of trouble, and if you haven't yet, um, I guess you should consider this a message of preparation because life will entail suffering. Shortly after graduating from university, I packed up my car, moved across the country to a little city called Los Angeles, I'm sure you've heard of it, to start my life in the arts and entertainment, or at least that's what the plan was. It had only been a few weeks before I got a call from my mom, and, and in between sobs, she managed to say, oh, Nicole, this is the most difficult call I've ever had to make, followed by the news that my brother was found dead. He had committed suicide, leaving the rest of us with excruciating pain. And in the coming weeks, I tried to articulate to understand what the loss of my brother felt like, what it meant. And I know we just met, <laughs> but I'm going to share some of what I wrote a few years ago describing July 12th of 2015. I'm shocked hit in the face with a fastball from left field while the force of a machine gun fires shots through my torso from all possible angles. Forget a rug, the entire earth has been pulled out beneath my feet, leaving me floating in space with no sense of direction, endless blackness in sight. I have just crossed the border from stability to pure agony. Where am I? Buckets of disbelief pour through the ceiling of my apartment and shoot me to the ground where my entire body aggressively weeps. I'm wailing into the phone and it feels tragically surreal. He was my best friend. He can't leave me here. I spend my time crying and noticing how the wings of my ceiling fan are still circling. I wonder if the neighbors can hear me through our open windows and if anybody recognizes the sound of grief. I feel my aloneness and don't know what to do with it. It feels inappropriate, so I call my best friend, but I'm frustrated that telling her doesn't change anything. My pain is too unbearable to be met with unprepared words from miles away through my dumb cell phone. I can feel her youth, her unscathed spirit, and honestly, it makes me mad. She tries to say the right things, but her words are falling short, and I realize she's not the right person to take this on. Not now, not in this way. I don't know what to do. What do I do? I've never done this before. I'm too upset and hang up. I feel terrible and I'm storming around my apartment in a rage of tears. I'm rapidly unraveling. That was the very beginning of what has been a complex process of grieving, but one of the blessings in loss, and you could even say of difficult seasons in general, is that they often compel Seekers, skeptics, and Christians alike to look up and really wonder, God, are you there? Do you see me? Can I know you? That's exactly what I did that year, laying on the front lawn of my childhood home the night before Matt's funeral, through tears on my flight back to California, sitting on the roof of my apartment complex while the sun set after work, or walking through a field near my grandfather's house on a starry night. Over the course of time following my brother's death, the Lord was faithful and generous to reveal himself. And as the psalmist describes, he became my light, 
my salvation, the stronghold of my life. But what does that mean? David was writing in anticipation of a messianic promise not yet revealed in the Son of God. But today we can read the opening verse and marvel at how the light came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ um, thousands of years later. God in the flesh is a light who holds the keys to redemption and salvation. He's also seen as a light of hope. Jesus says in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As we consider the nature of God, I'd like to suggest that the incarnation itself, this historical reality that God came down from heaven, was born as a child and lived as a man is proof that he is trustworthy. The willingness of Jesus to condescend towards us displays unfathomable humility. It's a kind of humility that breeds trust because he's concerned for the other and he's willing to leave his superior position for our sake. Jesus chose to subject himself to the human, human experience, all the strife and chaos that entails. He broke into our temporary life on earth, this horizontal plane of existence. But in order to get anywhere near grasping the magnitude of the incarnation, just how unfathomable it really is, we should also remember that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, Psalm 19.1. That in his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land, Psalm 95, 4 through 5. For the Lord, the most high, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth, Psalm 47, verse 2. God reigns over the nation. God sits on his holy throne. He is highly exalted. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty, Psalm 29, 4. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever, Psalm 29.10. He is high and lifted up. The seraphim would call to one another in his presence, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That is the God who came to us through the womb of a woman. The God of the cosmos was born, as all babies are born, only he entered the world in a filthy manger. He isn't looking to smite us. He's looking to be with us. He took on flesh to also die for us. And this is important because many of our false conceptions of God presume that he either isn't interested in our good or invested in our lives. The crucifixion is brutal evidence to the contrary. The crescendo of God's redemptive plan to rescue humanity is seen in his very own self-sacrifice on the cross. That he was willing to take on human form and live as we do shows God desires intimacy with us on earth, a sort of sharing in the human experience but that he was willing to go to the cross to lay down his life 
by suffering to death shows God desires relational intimacy with us forever. It was his plan that despite our responsibility in rebelling against him, he would be the one to intervene and rescue us. This good news that Jesus then resurrected from the grave, having power over sin and death, will never grow old because this event, which dramatically reveals the heart of God, the one you seek in prayer, it will continue to bridge the chasm between heaven and earth for generations to come. And by putting their trust in Jesus, many more rebels like you and I will flee darkness to declare, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So, as you contemplate who you're talking to in prayer, remember this daily. The God you speak to actually wants to hear from you. In fact, he wants to be in relationship with you so much so that he pursued you unto death. Do you know in your bones that he is your light and salvation? Do you feel the gravity of those titles? David also calls the Lord the stronghold of his life. A stronghold is a defensive structure. It's a refuge for the oppressed, a fortress in times of trouble, a shelter for adversaries. And in the following two verses, we see David being both honest about the danger he's facing and yet also hopeful because he knows the Lord. It's actually a fantastic model for prayer. And while we may not, may not endure identical battles to David thousands of years ago, there's a timeless relevance in facing hardship. The truth is, and you all know this, there are all kinds of wars. Some are within and some are without. Many of you are traversing a valley right now, and if you aren't, you can either look back to a time that you were, um, or you can know that one day you will be. All of us will experience carrying heavy things through difficult terrain, weary that will step on a landmine, or wondering when the clouds will lift. Perhaps your burden is in the betrayal of a friend, or the divorce of a spouse or parents, the miscarriage of a child the death of a loved one. It could be a number of things. It could also just be slander, like David talks about in the psalm, relational difficulty. Perhaps you feel aimless or alone, rejected or depressed. Maybe you're worried about finances or your family member who's fallen sick. Maybe you're just tired. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, who do you turn to where is it safe? Do you confide in the Lord and pour your heart out to him? Do you read scripture through tears because you know it's medicine for your soul? Do you take cover under the shelter of your heavenly father's wing because you know that he loves you? When David was surrounded by darkness, flesh-eating evildoers and adversaries, an army seeking war. It's quite the visual, right? Flesh-eating evildoers. Um, I was like, wow, okay. Um, they weren't cannibals. It, it, they were alluding to, <laughs> they were allude, I had to look this up, obviously, because I was a bit perplexed. Um, they were alluding to slander, like violence through, through slander and defamation. 
I find it fascinating, though, that David says this. He says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Hardship has a way of exposing life on earth for what it really is, which is quite fickle, meaningful and purposeful, beautiful, but really fragile. It's wasting away. And it's in light of honestly seeing our temper, temporary reality that the beauty of the Lord and his word penetrate our hearts. As the prophet Isaiah put it, the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our God endures forever. David knows that ultimately what he really needs is an undivided heart that seeks the face of God. Verse 8 says, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. The remarkable thing for us is that unlike David, we are the temple of the living God. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. After Christ ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within each and every person who believes in him. Paul says to the church in Corinth, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? What does that mean? extraordinary access to relational intimacy with God. He is never far off and detached. You are never alone. He's always near, so draw close in prayer. Trust his spirit of truth to bring conviction, counsel, and comfort. David closes the psalm, with such hope, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The psalmist might have been talking about the Lord's goodness in Israel, but another interpretation would be that the land of the living is alluding to heaven, where all will be made new. Friends, we need something to look forward to. I don't care how spiritual and saintly you think you are. How do we move forward without letting the afflictions of this life crush us? By abiding in the vine, by remaining connected to God. We're consoled by the fact that we have a Father in heaven whose house has many rooms and who's preparing this place for us to live in one day. Our true home our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And so like David, amidst all the turmoil, until we go home, can we be oriented to the maker of the heavens and the earth, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who is exalted over all and sovereignly working through absolutely everything. Can we commune with God in prayer daily? Not because we have to, but because we want to be with him. 
to know and love him more, to be transformed by this most precious relationship that any of us will ever experience. Tim Keller is an author and theologian. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. That's the kind of access we have. What I love about that image is that he, he is a king. He is a king. And yet he's also father. And that's extraordinary. So let's put our trust in the Lord. Let's gaze upon his beauty and inquire in his temple. Let's feast on his word and know who we're talking to. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our light, our salvation, the stronghold of our life. He lifts our heads and takes us in. So church, hope in the Lord and wait for him. I would like to close us in prayer. And, and I'm aware that m most likely there are like two groups in this room right now. Some of you have been following Jesus for probably more years than I've been alive. And it's incredible. And you know God. And so for you, prayer is you just want to go deeper in your prayer life. And maybe you've had seasons of of neglecting those rhythms, those spiritual disciplines, and now's a good time to like reflect and reconnect and maybe recommit. There might be others of you in here who have, have never truly communed with God, and partly it's because you've never experienced the forgiveness of God. And so I just want to give you a, a vague idea about what that might look like, asking for God's forgiveness. I'm going to give us all a moment um, to pray on your own, and then I'll close this out. But if you are here and you don't know Jesus, I don't think it's an accident that you came this morning, and I just want to encourage you to seek his face um, because he's so faithful and just to forgive. And so maybe that would sound something like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my mistakes. Um, thank you for dying for me on the cross and please would you come into my life sorry thank you and please so I'm just going to give you a moment everyone a moment to just bow your heads and pray and then I'll close us out Lord, thank you that you're always listening. Thank you that you're always near, that you're never far off. God, thank you for the ways that you've revealed yourself through your son and through the scriptures. Thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just be at work in each of us as we leave this service. Would you just help us to move forward, to engage in edifying conversations? Would you help us to find our own rhythm of communing with you, whatever that looks like?
Would you remind us that fundamentally you are a God of relationship and you love us dearly and we just rejoice in that. It gives us so much joy and peace. We praise you, Jesus. You're so good and sweet. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Nikki. Uh, very precious and very helpful words there. Um, this God is a God who longs for us to experience the fullness of relationship with Him uh, on a daily basis. What a what a privilege to come into His presence. We're going to um, we're just going to worship God again now at the end. Dizzy, would you mind leading us um, in a song? The kids will come back and we'll do we'll break bread in a moment. I'm just going to go and wash my hands while singing happy birthday twice to make sure I'm properly. <laughs> the Lord's Prayer. I'll say the Lord's Prayer then. That's probably better. But let's, let's worship God together. And then as the kids come in, we'll sort of uh, get ready to break bread together. Oh. 